0: Hey there, this is Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom and host of your daily podcast, Wisdom Smag. So thank you for joining me today and I want to invite you to listen as we talk about knowing when to stop. Today we're going to be discussing uh, survivor's guilt surrounding COVID-19 as well as some survivor's guilt around those who are able to still have a job and those who find themselves having to make some hard decisions that might not make sense to other people. And so stick with me as we delve into these things and look and see the wisdoms that we can gain from taking a deeper look as we learn to know when to stop. I'll see you on the flip. Hey, and thank you for joining me today as we get into knowing when to stop. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the current affairs and situation of what we find ourselves in and try to share a little bit of wisdom. And so when I'm talking about knowing when to stop, I'm talking about knowing when it is time to rest, when it's time to retreat or reset we talked a little bit about this yesterday when we talked about because you don't want to. And so today is kind of a little more of a follow-up, but in a different vein. And I am—I've um, I've made some notes about some of the current issues. And so if you are watching this in the future, please forgive and understand that I'm going to try to keep this as relevant to what's happening at the time of recording, as well as prevailing wisdom and insights as we can. All right. So the other day I saw an article uh, of about a gentleman, young man, who had uh, survivor's guilt of COVID-19. And I read a little bit of the article. I didn't finish it. It was heartbreaking. I'll be honest. And he has survivor's guilt because uh, he and friends had contracted the virus and he survived. And from what he intimated, the friend or friends did not. And so he had survivor's guilt. And not only that, um, he, I believe, was asymptomatic, if I'm not mistaken. And as I was reading it, I uh, my heart went out to him and to the affected people and all of the people that were left because this was a young man and so were the friends. And it's always so sad when um, uh, someone's flame is cut down when they are early in this life and they haven't had a chance to get some of those big wins that you get as an adult. And so I was empathizing with him on that. Then I was having a conversation with someone who is part of the essential uh, workforce that still needs to be in, out And we were having a conversation um, about how they were exhausted and tired. And then I had a conversation with another person who was part of the essential workforce who was saying uh, something about them needing to continue to work. But it's hard because they know that they need to have time for themselves. And as I looked at it, the wisdom of what they're going through And of what they're saying, whether it was the young man who had the survivor skill or the two people who are uh, essential personnel in different industries needing to continue to push forward, even though they're tired, even though they know that it's getting out of hand and that they don't have a way to stop because the need is so great. And my heart and my soul cries out, you know, to give them the support and the help they needed to keep them safe. Because they are essential and they have to go out and risk their, themselves to do what it is that they do. And because of that, I um, started seeing as wisdom likes to do some, some things and, and turning a- around to see it in different ways than I would have normally seen it as I was looking at this. And one of the things that came to me about uh, the survivor's guilt and knowing when to stop working, even though there's so much work yet ahead, was that there is this line of demarcation, this line we draw in the sand that we tend to obey and not go across when everything is fine. But in times of pandemic, stress, great strain, and we currently find ourselves in a time that we've never been in before. It's hard to make that line, even though you know where it's supposed to be. It's just really hard. And so I was looking at what the young man said in conjunction with what the people were saying who are finding themselves working all day, every day, until when they get up in the mornings, until they fall asleep at night, trying to find uh, time to exercise, feed themselves, spend time with their family and the like. And I looked at and I was like, oh my gosh, is it possible that there is a bit of survivor's guilt afoot? And I'm not going to say everybody, but for some people that might be part of it. It might be that because we are able to see immediately how hard something like this hits our economy and makes people suffer and strain, that we get a little more thankful, a little more grateful, as we should for what we do have. We get a little more able to give a little extra because we're all in it together. And but for the grace, could we be the person who is in dire need, struggling with no hope in sight because there seems to be no end in sight? And so because of that, a lot of the energy that's being spent is energy that is accompanied with high stress. And high stress is not good because when you have high stress, even if you're doing the same thing you used to, but there is an added psychological weight attached to it that many people are depending on you to do what it is you do and that this, this job has now become your lifeline to your survival and livelihood of your family. And now you're even more aware of how blessed or special you are to still have a job during this time. All of those things come in to put more, more gravity and more weight on what it is. And a lot of people are not realizing that they have a sort of survivor's guilt weight hanging on them that is making what they do naturally harder to do, and it's making them do it longer, even though they know they're going past their limits because there is a need and they're grateful to have the job in the first place. Then there's this other thing of the, for some people, the newness of working from home. I've talked about it a little bit on some of the recent podcasts, but what some people who have not been used to working from home don't understand that a lot of times you work longer and harder than you would if you were going to work, because instead of you having to put up your line that you don't cross, the job, the location, the set of people do it for you. So, your mind and everything within you subconsciously already knows I'm at work, and I behave this way when I'm at work. Just even the the armor that you use to go about your day, meaning what you wear, how you uh, fix your hair and and if you put on makeup, if you know, if that's something that you're into, just the the way you present when you're in a workspace as opposed to what you do when you're in a home space, tells you on a deep level that, this is work. And when I go home, this is respite. This is relaxation. This is my time to recharge. But when you bring your office into your home, and it'll click for some people pretty soon, you disrupt that harmony. You disrupt that space because now you have co-mingled the work and the rest. And your mind and, and your, your, your emotions are trying to make peace with it. One of the things that people scoff at, but you do need to possibly listen to, is especially if you're new to working at home, try very hard not to change up too much of your routine. Like, don't work in your home, I mean, in your, in your bedroom. Have a, a, a area. If you can't dedicate a room, dedicate a space or a corner. If you have to work on the kitchen table, when you're at work, allow people to maybe eat at the counter uh, or something so that you can keep that space to where it is your work area. Because psychically, wherever you work, you want to keep it dedicated to that as much as possible. Or trust me, some confusions are going to happen and it's going to uh, punch up your stress indicators and not the good stressors, the bad ones. And let's talk a little bit about the the effects of stress on us. And if you are in a predicament where your cortisol levels are, are constantly engaged to deal with all the stress, eventually you're going to run out of cortisol and the body is going to have to scavenge for other ways to get it whether it has to take it from your muscles or if it has to go even deeper and take it from your bones and the calcium in your bones. A lot of people right now have been in this just long enough to start to feel depleted physically that they're not feeling as well as they might have had this been a month ago doing the same amount of work. And that, if that's the case, then I would encourage you I would encourage you to address any areas of survivor's guilt you might be knowingly entertaining or unknowingly entertaining and make some time to step away and to make sure that if at all possible, you separate the areas where you relax with the areas that you work in. For another instance, not just your bedroom. And I I know a lot of people have to work at the kitchen table. And I mean, I'm not trying to slam it. And, you know, some people might be saying, well, I work on my couch in front of my TV. If that's the area where you relax, then, yeah, I'm going to tell you probably not that. If you can, dig out that old um, card table or that old uh, TV dinner stand and get a folding chair. Put your laptop on that and go put it in a corner and work there and make it where that is your designated area of work so that you can know when to stop. Because I'm going to tell you, when you've been sitting staring at a wall in a corner for five, six, seven, eight hours, you will quickly start to learn, oh, I've been in this corner long enough. But if you commingle that space where you're sitting in front of the TV doing your work and you keep your laptop on your, on your lap and it might be after work, but you still hadn't finished up a, a, a few things, a few emails or a report you were working on. And you go on and you turn on the TV and you're still working and watching TV. And then the next day you continue to do that. Maybe it's maybe a week or two weeks and that has become your norm. It is going to be harder for you to truly disengage from the time when you have to be hyper conscientious to work And the time when you need to allow yourself to relax so that your body can release all the toxins and the stresses and strains that you built up being hypervigilant all day to work. And in a perfect world, you would be like, oh, well, I can just go into the guest bedroom and work or I can go over here and do this. But let's be honest, if there is anybody else in that house with you, It's not gonna be that easy to work in your corner or in that separate bedroom or at that kitchen table because other people are trying to live and work as well. There are many households where you've got more than one person working at more than one job. Whether it is a, a couple, spouse, or significant other, or it might be where you've got parents working in some rooms. Then you got adult children who have come home to shelter in place with the family who are working in another room, or they don't necessarily have it where they can work in different rooms. It's going to make it kind of hard. And so there comes a time to know when to stop, to know when to have a hard full stop that says, okay, the day is over. I am going to do what I need to to decompress, whether that is binge watching uh, shows, picking up books, wink, wink. I have books. uh, Check the show notes to see my pen name, pick up some of my books or whatever it is so that you're able to truly get get a reprieve from the pressure because whether you know it or not, you're not blind. And subconsciously, you're taking in a lot of messages. You're looking at people who are really straining and stressing out about where their next meal is going to be, about how they're going to pay, continue to pay for a roof over their head. You're looking at the fact that there are a lot of people who didn't weren't able to retain their job, and maybe it might be overtly um, obvious that people are ready willing and able to remind you that there are many people lined up who would have no problems being uh, in your shoes for your job if you don't comply to the expectations of what's going on. Now, I don't know your specific situation, but I do know this, that you can't keep this up forever. And so you might as well get wise about it and learn how to take a little bit of time here and there because the last thing you want is to run straight into that wall and be forced to take a lot of time to get back. And so it's probably time for you to really get, you know, get to the point where you can consider what it is that you need to do and how it is that you need to go about doing it. Because it ultimately comes down to knowing when to stop is going to be one of the best medicines that you give yourself and because we are faced with having to govern ourselves and let me just let me just say something break off here i just had this thought there is a difference between ruling governing and managing and in times like this we are called to not only manage ourselves but to govern ourselves as well so ruling would be say for instance you have a monarchy and the, the, the king or queen's word is absolute. They give the rules. Everybody follows them. And if you don't, then there are repercussions, period. But governing is different because it can be individual as well as a government. And governing is where there are rules and laws that are put forth. And the people are given the ability, bandwidth, and freedom to know what the rules are and to agree to to govern themselves accordingly meaning that they are the ones that are going to adhere to them and because of that if they fail to do it what they're kind of not kind of what they're saying is is if i break the law then i run the risk of punishment and the difference between ruling and governing is ruling what what is said is said and done. and so much so that there could be a lot of uh presence of uh oppressors, <laughs> um guards, uh knights, uh police officers, sheriffs, whatever you want to call it to enforce those rules. But with governance, the expectation is put out there and people are still given the power and the right to adhere to what has become the set-aside rules. And thus, if they break them, then they can go, well, I know in, in the United States, they can go in front of a collection of their peers and make their appeal and have some say-so and be willing to defend themselves uh, against that. But with rulership, you break the rules. If somebody says you break the rules, you just go to jail or, or you suffer or whatever. But let's talk about management. And management is where you deem what you do or who you are as a resource to be used, and you manage these resources in a way for the purpose of efficient uh, effectiveness. And so, with managing yourself, you are managing the resources that you can produce. Unlike governing, where you are governing yourself to act in a way that society has has decided is the way we're going to behave, and a lot of people tend to not realize that they are conflating governing themselves with managing their time or in their resources. Because with managing, you have a finite amount of resources. You can't work all the time. You must sleep. You must eat, decompress, and all of that. With governing, governing is about your moral ethical and legal obligations to yourself and to others. And when you conflate these, you kind of get it confused where you might think that your resources of what you can do and produce is some way tied into your moral, ethical, and legal understanding of who you are as part of an organization, a society, or a government. And so there are a lot of people out here with this guilt because They are trying to govern their time instead of manage their time. And thus, they tend to believe that if I don't get all of this done, if I don't take a break, then I am not a good employee. I am not a good citizen. I am not a good team player. But when they fail to realize that maybe you should have managed Your resources a little bit differently to understand when you are in the red, when you are depleting yourself and your ability to produce by saying, Okay, I know I have these things to be done, and I'm going to need to take a break today, but I will work on them tomorrow. I'll keep everybody in the loop as to what I'm doing and not have that guilt, whether it be survivor's guilt. Or mercy guilt that you think I'm going to lose my job if I don't keep up with this breakneck pace that I put myself on, so that you can truly do what you need to and know when is time to stop. Because if you don't, you're going to hit that wall. And like I said, you're going to be forced to take more time than it should have taken if you had just gone to the point of understanding that you are to manage your resources. And by managing resources, you understand when they are depleted, you understand we have to shut down the line, you understand when you have to push back from the reports from the Excel sheets from the whatever it is you're doing, because you have hit your, your, your benchmark. Even in the um, travel industry, the airline industry, um, and they're still going at this particular time, but there are federal laws that mandate the use of resources where there is mandatory crew rest so that nobody can dip into the confusion of governance versus management. So by law, they make sure in the United States that crews, at least for the domestic, that crews have mandatory rest periods of a certain amount of hours within a certain amount of time so that you won't overwork yourself and cause uh, airplane crashes and, and unnecessary errors that could cause life or limb. And so that is an example of how important it is for us to remember that we need to know when to stop. And knowing when to stop means that you get back to knowing that what things you are to manage and what parts of your life you are to govern and not get them confused, not believe that what you do for your living with the resources, the tools and the expertise and knowledge you have is directly in Um, directly tied to who you are as a person and a good citizen to your community and as a good worker to your company. Because you will do yourself, your company and everyone else a disservice if you overdo it and deplete yourself. So I hope that is making sense. Now, with the last few minutes that I have, I have something that seems to be unrelated, but I definitely wanna talk about it. And um, if you'll just bear with me, um, I I just kind of want to <laughs> mention it. I normally don't go this route, but let me just shut up and say it. So, there seems to be a misunderstanding about uh coronavirus in that people are treating it like it's a bacteria instead of a virus. And I am not a doctor. I am not giving out medical information or even advice. I am simply saying that the some of the information I'm seeing is quite confusing because I don't understand how if we are to believe that we've been, what we've been taught for years and years, that once a virus is in you, you will always have that virus. It may be latent, it may be dormant, or it could be active, but you'll always have that virus because it changes your cells to a molecular level. And thus, you will have times when you'll be asymptomatic, but usually some kind of stressor could possibly trigger that virus to act up or become active in your system again. And so I was getting confused when I started seeing people saying that they were over the virus and now testing a negative. And I was like, but this is a virus. So it was not making sense to me. And then I just saw, that a lot of people are facing, they use the word conundrum. I was like, why is there a conundrum? Because they were saying people who have the virus and were uh, cured or over it are now testing positive again. I was like, but once you have a virus, that's it. And the reason why I wanna say this is because a virus is something that if you have any choice, you don't wanna get because it's gonna always be with you. It might not act up. You might always be asymptomatic. But guess what? You can pass on a virus when you are asymptomatic. And this is not me giving out medical advice. This is the nature of viruses 101. You can Google it and look it up. And because of that, when you have a virus and it invades your body, there are things called viral shedding. You know, when you don't feel like anything is going on, but just even the body dandruff, you know, the dead skin cells that you slough off just naturally, sometimes they can be loaded with the virus. And if those get out into the air, you know, maybe you're ashy, you know, maybe you don't realize it. Uh, You laugh, you talk and spit, spittle or whatever goes out. And you have this viral load in your body. You can be contagious. And so, That article today was talking about how people that are asymptomatic have a higher viral load and can be more infectious than people who are exhibiting the symptoms. And so I'm saying this because I see people who are saying, well, if I get the virus, I'll just get the virus. It can't be that bad. That's just like saying, well, if I get herpes, I get herpes. It won't be that bad. But will you ever really get rid of herpes? No, you're going to always test positive for it, even if you're not exhibiting. And so I'm not trying to be crass or cruel, but I was talking to someone um, recently and I was like, what I think people should say is coronavirus is the respiratory equivalent of herpes. You're never going to get rid of that. So why would you want to go out and knowingly run the risk of getting it when it is, I'm not going to say easy, But it's preventative, as we know right now. Might not be in the near future, but right now there are certain things that we can do and precautions that we can take to lower the risk of spreading. And understanding that now that we're dealing with this and people are now surviving it, that there might be uh, re-flarings, and I I pray that that's not the case, but we need to understand that a virus is still a virus. So let's be more mindful and, and and let's be more considerate of people who have the virus, people who don't have the virus, and not take unnecessary chances of that. And the next thing I wanted to say, because this happened uh, yesterday when... Um, one of our states decided that they were going to reopen their beaches and people were in an uproar. And I said, I wasn't gonna say anything about it because I normally don't weigh in on this stuff because I know that the way I look at things is a little different. Um, But what I wanted to say was this, because I got asked about it by a friend of my thoughts of why Florida would open their beaches and I am not in defense of them. But as I understand it and know it, uh, Florida doesn't doesn't have state income tax. Florida's largest employer, Walt Disney World in Orlando, just released 43,000 employees. And it's going to affect numerous communities around um, the, uh, the amusement park. And they are uh, also... Uh, Florida's income is driven by um, tourism. It's driven by their toll roads. So a lot of people are not traveling for toll. Florida also just had to go through an, an, um, an emaciated spring break. So they didn't get the numbers from that. It was a relatively mild winter last year for the winter. So they did not have a lot of snowbirds coming. So they already were going into this coronavirus Nineteen COVID-19 limping, and then to have the pandemic hit, uh, you're looking at a state that possibly is looking at some real hard choices. Because the last time I checked constitutionally, states could not file bankruptcy. And states are not individuals. Where an individual could possibly drop out of the economy... A state can't because it's an entity that is responsible. Think about just even the state run um, things that we take for granted. Think about our poor children who are in foster care and uh, and are wars of each state. And if the state runs out of money and they need to place a child, you can't expect that foster home to be willing to accept that child in the state that we're in now with an extra amount to feed because most foster parents are not independently wealthy to be able to be willing to take care of that child if the state can't afford to pay them. Or what about the people who uh, depend on the local municipalities for their power and water and utilities? You can't afford to ask those engineers and people to come to work and not be able to pay them because the state doesn't have the money. So there are a lot of trickle-down effects. And I just want us to, ask, I want us to be wise and kind before we jump to a lot of conclusions and brand people as not so smart because they happen to reside in a state whose structure has been decimated. Have a little more kindness. No, I don't agree with it, um, but I am trying to see different angles. And when you start walking in the path of wisdom, hopefully she will continue to open our eyes to see all angles. And so guess what? My time is up. I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom. Don't forget to check the show notes. And because this is a daily podcast, I am going to see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your evening and your day. Bye. (laughs)